0: Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media, Internet
1: Broadcast Network. 10, 9, 8,
0: 7,
1: 6,
0: 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We are counting down to the 10th annual Ohio Linux Fest. Join us in Columbus for a weekend jam packed with your favorite open source software. On Friday, get professional training at Ohio Linux Fest Institute, or come to see the Early Penguins Talks. Saturday brings a full set of presentations, including the new Beginner's Track. Don't forget to stop by the display booths featuring prominent vendors and community projects. Sunday wraps up with LPI
2: and BSDA certification exams, as well as the diversity and open source workshop. It all happens September 28, 29, and 30 at the Greater Columbus Convention Center.
0: Visit OhioLinux.org for all the details. So I misread the clock. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and we are having a cold snap down here in Texas. Let me tell you, it's down in the 90s, down in the 90s up here in the DFW area. Anyway, welcome to our show, and I'd like to introduce you to the man that makes this thing go. That would be Russ, K5TUX up in Arkansas.
2: Hello, Russ. Hey Richard, how's things going? I know your day was a little bit bad, but you're going to tell everybody what a wonderful time and a wonderful afternoon you had, regardless of the fact that you almost broke your spine. Anyway, good evening, good badger, good week, good whatever it is to you. This is Russ K5TUX. Welcome in to Linux in the Hamshack number 89 We've got another jam-packed episode for you. We've got a special guest. We've got all kinds of things going on, and it's going to be one hell of a podcast episode. So what's going on, Richard?
0: <laughs> no, I just uh, uh, did another experiment in human flight today, and uh, I have found out that my theories need to be revised. So I'm going to go back to the, to the drawing board and check it out. I have experimented several times over the years with the uh, uh, human flight. And I haven't been able to achieve it just yet. I have been told that Douglas Adams had to answer. And uh, I will probably have to uh, check into that and put it into the equations. Uh, on top of all that, I had to lay in a parking lot the other day and put a tire on the van. So uh life is incredibly s- 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 wonderful. Wonderful. Glad to hear yes. it. Right. Right. How things going in the booby mountains? <laughs> oh, slicker
2: than snot in a
0: bucket. Oh, slick, <laughs> slick booby mountain. <laughs>
2: That's right. Try not to think about it too hard. Do you want to introduce our guest or do we want to just leave him hanging for a while? Leave him hanging. All right. So we'll leave our guest hanging for a while. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you really need to see a doctor about that.
2: Yeah, I know. That sounds like sleep apnea. That can
0: be fatal, you know. Oh, well, yeah, I know. That's why I've been sleeping with a machine for 15 years.
2: Yeah, I've been sleeping with one for about two now, so we're in the same boat. Oh,
1: boy, so that's just not a nice thing to say. What? What? Sleeping with a machine. Now, come on. (laughs) What kind of a comment is that to make? (laughs) Well,
2: I think
0: that that Isaac Asimov would be proud.
2: I'd I'd say that you don't know Brenda, but I'd probably get in trouble for that one.
1: (laughs) Indeed, indeed.
2: All right. Well, our guest who decided to wake up from his uh, sleep apneic little nap over there is Rob from the Mintcast who hey, I've sl- guys. Yeah, I've been trying to take over the Mintcast in case you haven't heard,
1: but Well, you no, know, I've I've heard rumors of that and our uh, our intrusion detection systems have picked up a couple of anonymous anomalous little uh, events, so I thought I'd uh, stop on over and just check things out here and and kind of get the lay of the land see what we're up against. Yeah, he's anomalous all right. Yeah,
2: well, apparently I'm not covering my tracks as much as I had hoped. But anyway, thanks, Rob, for coming by and joining us this evening. We're going to talk with you a little bit later about what you do and what you know and all kinds of stuff like that. But we're going to probably get rolling here at the beginning with uh, some announcements from our show and some of the things that are going on with us, and then we'll make sure that you're the star of the evening. How's that sound?
1: Well, I hope you got a lot of other material. If you're going to talk about the stuff I know, we're not going to be spending long doing that. So,
2: Well, we can drag anything out into a 37-hour episode.
0: Don't worry nobody, about it. N- <laughs> nobody, nobody is allowed to be stupider on this show
2: than me.
1: <laughs> well, I'll do my best. but
2: All right. Sounds good. So do you have anything you want to talk about, Richard, before we dive into the Etherpad and actually uh, talk about some stuff that I wrote in there? I was following
0: a whole different line of thinking this afternoon and then, then you just turned it around the other direction. So I just wiped it all out and thought we, thought we just go from the start. Tell us all about the etherpad.
2: Well, I don't know if I want to tell about the etherpad just yet because I'm kind of curious what direction you wanted to go in. Uh, oh, I was chasing down some leads
0: on, uh, uh self promotion.
2: Oh, well, no one cares about your self promotion.
0: Actually, I found this really cool Linux website and I wish I, I, I bet I got it in the history.
2: Let me, let me. Yeah. Well, if you go back and find it, go ahead and put it in there and we'll talk about it. But it's me, cool. It hadn't been updated in like 400
0: years, but it's cool.
2: Well, that's, that's cool. That's, that's back around the age of the dinosaurs, right? 400 years. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would like to update everyone on the Etherpad. And what's become of the Etherpad is it's now embedded in the Linux and the Hamshack website as opposed to being a separate thing that Richard and Bill and I use to sort of coordinate our episodes. We're still using it for that purpose, but it's actually become a part of LHSpodcast.info. So if you decide to become a subscriber to the show and pay your $2 a month or your $20 a year as a subscriber, one of the things that you're going to get is access to our Etherpad. So you'll actually be able to get in there during the show and see what it is we're going to talk about and all of the notes that we write back and forth to each other uh, that disparage various racial groups and ethnicities and all kinds of bad stuff that never makes it to air. So, you know, that's a good incentive to become a subscriber of the show. I didn't really have much more to say about that unless you want to embellish it somehow. Well, I just think they ought to sign up because
0: doggone the the unedited feed y'all don't believe y'all would not believe all the stuff y'all miss if you think richard is funny in the edited version oh good lord (laughs) go ahead and check it out and yes we spend all of that see that's the problem we're gonna have tonight because we have all the same ethnic groups where i'm at that that rob has down there and we already worked most of them i can't remember lately who we haven't pissed, uh, irritated who we have, not <laughs> haven't irritated, but, uh, yeah, y'all go ahead y'all go ahead and head on over and, uh, you know, take a look. Like I said, uh, there, uh, Russ is going to be through adding new features and all this good stuff. And it, it, uh, really going to be worth your while. Plus, it helps us out. We have to we, get, we don't have to spend as much time begging to get to Dayton. That's right.
2: We'll probably have to spend a little time, but, you know, a little bit less now. Exactly. Okay, so let me bring up the next topic that I've got on the Etherpad, and that is that we had a request from a listener that we reported in the last episode who suggested that we put out a feed that doesn't have any music in it. Now, this is for those folks who like to listen to the podcast at greater than 1x speed so that when they're going down the road, they can actually get through more episodes than the average person. This is how I listen to episodes. I actually listen to them at 2x so I can get through twice the episodes in the same amount of time. Really works out well for me, but they don't like the fact that the music is still in between. So that is now a subscriber feature. As of this episode, episode number 89 If you become a subscriber to the show, you will have access to an RSS feed that contains the Linux in the Ham Shack episodes without the interstitial music. So that should make him happy. I don't remember who it was exactly. Do you remember, Richard? Uh, no, but if we had access to
0: the last Etherpad, I could tell you.
2: Yeah, I think it was KB7QOA was uh, the call sign, and I don't remember what his name was, but He became a subscriber to the show just for that feature, which is fantastic. And like I said, as of this episode, he will be graced with episodes that don't have music in him. Now, for the rest of us who don't want to become a subscriber, you will still get the episodes for free. But they will, of course, contain the interstitial music and all that good stuff. So if you like the music, then don't worry about it. Don't pay us. Don't, you know, don't break a sweat or anything like that. Everything will be as normal as it was from day one. Before we leave the
0: whole membership thing, that you know, this is going to give access to like the original unedited live recordings. Uh, like I said, if you think things get wild, <laughs> uh, listen to the raw raw cut, uh, access to educational videos and screencasts, which Russ is going to take care of as soon as we get finished this evening. And, uh, let's see access to the archived MP3 format stuff. Yeah, buddy thought they already had that and uh let's see free limited edition lhs merchandise and much much more much much more
2: that's right and eventually there's going to be a rss feed that contains all of our episodes uh well maybe not all of our episodes but a lot of our episodes in flack format so you'll actually be able to listen to us in super high quality right and it'll be injured no it won't you said FLAC. No, that's Flack, not aflack. Oh, poor Gilbert. Yeah, poor Gilbert. Poor Gilbert. He got a raw deal on that. <laughs> I do like Gilbert, although I can only stand him for about seven minutes before his voice starts turning my brain into mush. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so we
0: got anything oh, else? Let's see. Uh, well, you do the Black Sparrow Media
2: mobile thing, and then I remembered something. All right, cool. Well, I just wanted to remind everybody that Linux in the Ham Shack is part of the Black Sparrow Media mobile application. You can download that from the Android App Store or from iTunes. Uh, you can get it for your Apple devices and for any of your Android mobile devices. If you happen to download the application, which is free, you will have access to our Twitter feed, our Facebook information, and all of our episodes And even access to the live stream so you can listen to us when we're recording live on your mobile device. So there's all kinds of cool features there. There's new stuff coming all the time. It doesn't cost you a dime. And i am be willing to bet that 99% of the people who listen to us have a mobile device. So if you have a mobile device, go to your app store, look up Black Sparrow Media, download the app, and you'll have access to every podcast. That's on the black Sparrow media network, including this one, my other podcast, which I have an update on. We may talk about towards the end of the show, uh, Richard's podcasts, wave guides, and all kinds of cool stuff.
0: All of Richard's podcasts.
2: That's right. Everything Richard has ever done in the history of Richard, or at least in the history of Richard podcasting. That's right. So go download the app from your app store. You don't want to miss this. It doesn't cost you a thing. All right, Richard, what did you just remember?
0: Actually, uh, the Black Sparrow Media app, y'all go out and uh, let me tell you, I have it on my phone, and I promise you that there is no
2: adware on it because I ain't seen none. That's right. I did not sign up for the adware. So you're not, even though the application is free and it costs money out of my pocket, well, sort of money out of my pocket. It's sort of, it, it's kind of defrayed by any donations we get, which by the way, we haven't had any recently. So if you want to donate, go ahead and do that. If you download the application, which doesn't cost you a thing, cost me money, cost Richard's money, even though he doesn't realize it yet, there's no adware, nothing like that. Still a free app. Go download it. I'm telling you, do it now or I'll find you by APRS or some other geolocation service and I will kick your ass.
0: You, we know that it works on Android because I have it on my phone. We know it works on Apple because Russ has probably got an Apple phone he ain't told us about. So y'all go check it out in the App Store, wherever. Okay, what I remembered. is like I said earlier, I went over found this uh, really kind of cool Linux ham radio website today. Uh It hasn't been updated since 2005. But as I scrolled through it, and I didn't have a whole lot of time to look at it, uh, it seems to have some really good information that's still reasonably pertinent. Uh, even though his pick for ham, uh, ham radio, uh, Linux distributions is Harv's Shack hack. He does have information on, uh, let's see, X log, QT log, TW log, PHP ham log, um, predict, M track. I haven't seen M track in a long time. G predict, K track. Bunch of packet stuff. Oh, yeah. And uh, it talks a little bit about kernel. And this site is almost every page has some kind of Linux content. And the thing about it is, yes, we've made great strides since 2005, but a lot of the stuff is still the same. So y'all go ahead and uh, go over here and check this out. That would be uh, he's over on qsl.net, www.qsl.net, stroke KF8. G R K F A G R. And since Bill's not in here, I'm going to have to figure out how to get it in the etherpad while Russ is talking at some point. <laughs> but it, but it will be in the show notes. So, uh, y'all can go check it out. And what that had me remember was that my QSL.net website, which I don't have the password to and can't get the guy to help me. Uh, change it or anything over there because he doesn't even answer his emails anymore. Oh yeah. The email's dead on this, uh, KF8GR site. So don't try and send him any email, but I was, uh, looking and that old website has some, uh, ham radio best on the web awards on it. It was a pretty good website for its time. Uh, all coded by below me and, um, I got to thinking about it that this would be a good idea. We got Linux people listening to our show. We got ham radio people listening to our show. And since Russ is the primarily Linux guy, I'm going to talk to my amateur radio friends at this point. So here's what we're going to do. And I haven't had a chance to talk to Russ about this, so you're getting to hear about it before he does. I think we're going to develop a uh, amateur radio Linux or Linux ham uh best on the web award which means that we will create some nice little graphic you can put on your website and we will create a list of all the, all the uh, websites that are on there and we will make sure that you have what it takes to promote yourself as one of the best sites on the web. Now here's the thing. I haven't had a chance to think it all out just yet. Y'all keep an eye open for, uh, for the criteria, either on the Linux and Ham Shack website uh, or over at Resident, the Resident Frequency website, uh, probably at both. And I know at the very least, we need a website, your website, to have at least one page post or whatever that is strictly Linux or Linux and Ham Radio, Linux or Linux and Ham Radio on your website. And, uh, hopefully it's an amateur radio website, but you go ahead and, uh, if, if you can make the, if you make that happen, you go ahead and send us an email, uh, at the usual suspects and we're going to get working on that. I, in fact, I need to take my world famous clicking pen over here, figure out what they did with my spiral notebook and
2: write it down. So what do you think about that Russ? Well, I think you've just created another hand me a trophy award that no one's going to give up badger about so there you go well let me tell you something amateur radio operators
0: are different than computer people
2: well that's true yeah. although they're kind of the same in some aspects in other words some ham radio operators are in fact computer operators well
0: i'm just saying we 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 all ain't right but uh linux people and ham radio operators are slanted different directions
2: well, that's kind of true. And I'd like to thank Tim Wilson for the concept of the hand me a trophy award. I'm sure he doesn't listen to this show, but if somehow it gets back to him, thanks very much, Tim. Well, you know what, look, look, what,
0: uh, look what ham twits did for, uh, amateur radio and look for, look at, uh, some of the other things that, uh, more about getting more people to spread the good news than it is actually having to spend any money out of pocket. You know what I'm saying? More people likely to talk about Linux. There's a lot of amateur radio operators out there that have websites that run Linux, but they don't talk about it because they don't feel it's important to talk about it. But the only way you can tell is, in fact, you can't even tell if they're running FL Digi instead of Ham Radio Deluxe because FL Digi, there's also a Windows version for uh fl digi and there are ways to run fl digi on apple computers you know it's that whole bsd variant thing so i think it's worth giving a try i wouldn't have brought it up if i wasn't going going to administrate it myself
2: well i'll help you out in any way that i possibly can just let me know
0: okay i'll have you uh,
2: uh keep the list up to date All right. Sounds good. So is that all you got or we, we got any more before we play some music?
0: I think that's pretty much it. Unless you got something else in the, in the ether pad. oh yeah. One more thing. What's that? Uh, we're going a little hammy on this.
2: Oh no, we're going hammy.
0: Everybody Uh, buckle in. Well, no, I just ran across an article, uh, at, uh, tech news, tech news world today. I was hunting through some stuff, desperately looking for content. There's a pretty good article. I will link the article (laughs) entitled, Is Ham Radio Still Handy? over there. And uh, I can't remember. I posted a link to it somewhere.
2: Are we really going down this road again? I think we've already decided that ham radio is definitely still handy. Yeah, but this article was only written
0: a couple of days ago, so I figured I might as well bring it up. All right. You know, he talks about New Orleans and what it's about and how to get set up a little bit of history and what the equipment's like. And you know, this is a general letting everybody know that, you know, ham radio is the is to hobbies as Linux is the operating systems. It's under publicized and people have a lot of misconceptions. They think it's difficult to get into and all this other stuff. You know, we had the flood of the ones that knew what it was, but didn't want to, well, I ain't even going to say that. But, um, now it's getting to the point that people don't really know anything about it. And the same way with Linux, every time I mention Linux to somebody, they say, man, isn't that stuff hard to work with? Oh, good Lord. In fact, the last time I was up, uh, talking to, talking to the cinema over here in Mesquite about going up there and running their projectors for them a couple nights a week. And I was talking to one of the managers, and he's like, well, are you up on the computer stuff? I said, looked over at the computer they had in the office, and it had uh, XP on it. And I go, well, I see y'all are running Windows, and yeah, I'm pretty handy with that. Uh, I run Linux myself, and he's like, man, isn't that so hard to work with? You got to, I don't know, you got to be like, oh, hell, what they call it over on Windows, terminal screen. That's the command prompt. Yeah. I just want yeah, to jump in. Com- yeah, the command prompt, and uh, I'm like, no, nah, man, in fact, in a lot of cases, it's easier to work with than Windows, plus you don't have to do all the hours and hours of maintenance on it that you have to do with Windows, so, anyway, we have digressed, reversed, sidetracked, gone off, created new things, and possibly found a transductional node in the matter curve, so... Uh, with that, I think we probably need to play some music before our head explodes. And we'll be right back with our interview with Rob
2: from the mid
0: cast.
2: That's right. So everybody sit tight. We're going to have some music here and it's kind of appropriate that you should mention your head's blowing off because this track that I picked for the first interstitial break, um, is by a group called Ophira, which is one of the best heavy metal, uh, open, uh, music folks that i have found in a long time so if you're not a big fan of speed metal or thrash metal you might want to skip the next few minutes of the podcast but if you're into that sort of thing this is called the napalm theory buckle your seatbelt, hang on tight we'll be back on the other side
0: And there you go, folks. See, those were some really, really compelling lyrics, full of words to live by. And I want y'all to think about that while we go through the next segment. Okay. <laughs> now we have, we have lured Rob from the Mint Cast into our lair and we've blocked all the exits. So now we're gonna have a go. So let me introduce to y'all
1: Rob from the Mint Cast. Say hello to everybody, Rob. Hey everybody! Hey, so to get started, I, I I got a question about the music we just heard. I, uh, I was kind of following along in the lyrics, and I want to know: did the did the guy's dog die in the end, or what? I I couldn't tell you. You know, that's another hobby that is just under publicized:
0: gargling glass. It I, is, yeah. They were really I, good at it too. The, but anyway, but Russ likes that stuff. We need not pick on it because he's going to have talk for a while. Because I got to get another aspirin.
2: see how it is i have him under my thumb so he can't speak badly about anything i do
1: i I understand that now yeah i'm just
2: i'm just
0: reinforcing the stuff we blocked all the exits with
2: (laughs) 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 all right so you so you're going to ask him any of the questions i put in the ether pad or is this all up to me again
0: you go right on ahead because i have a request from the the show note taker and i'm going to take
2: care of that real quick are you gonna do that now or are you gonna do that afterwards? Uh probably thought I'd take care of it now. Well, you're gonna do it now like on the show or am I interviewing or what? Go ahead. I'm gonna do it by via another
0: communication method. Oh, I so see.
1: You, you are multitasking.
0: That's
2: right.
1: And, and I, never I, will your hands leave uh, your elbows.
2: Exactly. <laughs> that usually causes some kind of a forest fire. But anyway, um,
0: I haven't said it. I have, you know, I haven't set no fires ever since I got my,
2: this new medication. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and interview Rob, if that's all right with you. Okie dokie. All right. That's okay with me. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, (laughs) the first question I was going to ask you, Rob was about your Linux background and sort of how you got into Linux. But in fact, Since I just found out before the show that you are an Ontarian who is now living in southern Texas, I would like to know how you survived your first week.
1: Well, that is an interesting story. We've been down here 22 years or so now, and we moved down in August from Ontario. And so when you live in Canada, you know, you look at this this nation to the south, and You watch their TV and you kind of know the people and, you know, you figure, well, they're pretty much like us. You know, how different can they really be? And so moving down from Ontario down to to Houston, I thought, yeah, you know, folks is folks. They're going to be pretty much like what I'm used to.
0: I needed to break in right here. Yeah. Now we know you've been here long enough. Why is that? Folks is folks.
1: Folks is folks. Well, there's several things like that when I go back up and they, they accuse me of being a Texan now. But, uh, I tell you, at first it was a shock. Um, talk about culture shock. Uh, Texas is not like Ontario. It, it really is not at all like Ontario. So well, it was, there's
2: a shocker for you.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, being living in my little insulated southern Ontario place. You know, you kind of think the world, everybody in the world's like you. Well, in folks in Texas are different kind of folks. Uh, so, but we survived. It. I thought we were going to die the first year. Um, we were down here the first summer. So, one of the first things we did was put in a swimming pool in the backyard. And so we put this swimming pool in, and they filled it up with water. And, of course, the local water, well, it wasn't the cleanest, so it was kind of black. So we thought, well, we can't go in the pool yet. So we ran the pump for a little while and cleaned the water up. The water's nice and clean now and threw the thermometer in and uh seemed like it was okay. So we invited some of our new neighbors over to go in the pool. So we're jumping in and out of the pool, and nobody else would go in. I couldn't quite figure out why, and and you know, because – the water was warm it was seventy five degrees, and so I figured that's swimming weather because where we lived on lake on Un- or on Lake Huron, that was as warm as the water ever got so uh, but so there were a bunch of things I had to learn moving to Texas all
2: right well, obviously you did make it through your first week, your first year, and uh, actually your first couple of decades let's let's jump back a little bit uh, to find out how you actually came into. Uh, whatever technical field you started out in, uh, whatever that may be, and how your interest in Linux and open source was generated whenever that may have been.
1: Well, I'm an engineer by training, and so um, started off long before there were computers. Um, the first computer I ever saw was at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, and I went into the math and computer building And it was like a six-story building. And in the center of that building was the red room. And the red room was oh, probably, I want to say, 300 feet square and three stories high. And the whole inside of the room was red. And they had windows all around it so you could look down in at the people who were running the machine. And it was... It was the university's IBM 370 that was down in there, and all the tape drives were going. And so that was my first exposure to computers. And of course, being in engineering, you took a computer course, and so I learned to program in Fortran, as all real men can do. Uh, it's kind of instinctive, I think. Um, worked on and punched tapes and or punch cards and and all that kind of good stuff, uh, and then had Sort of developed an attachment to computers that was to turn out to be kind of something that lasted a long time. My first computer I ever owned was a Radio Shack color computer that you programmed in BASIC and you the the mass storage device on the thing was a cassette player. So that and of course it did not well Linux did not exist in those days. This was in the 80s. Um, probably encountered Linux first. After we moved down here, so it would have been in the mid '90s uh, that I ran into, first came across it, and and I said to somebody else early on in the Mintcast days that I started in Linux back in the Slackware on a hundred floppies days, because the literally the first Linux distribution I, I installed, I downloaded floppy by floppy off the internet uh, and installed it, and it probably wasn't a hundred, but it was a it was one of the big boxes of floppies, so it was about sixty floppies. Uh, that, that it took to install that thing. Uh, and then have just puttered and fiddled and fooled with it ever since. And and uh, as the distros got easier and easier to use, I started using it more and more. I probably have uh, always had a Linux box around someplace. Um, the other thing that I started doing before we left Canada is uh, ended up starting a little company to manufacture computers in my garage. And I think we started it the same year that Michael Dell started uh, Dell Computers, and I, I'm not—I'm still puzzled over how those two enterprises ended up being so different. But uh, we didn't make a fortune. Could have had something to do with the fact that we weren't actually trying to make money at it. Uh, but that started an interest in in hardware tinkering that has persisted till now. And and so for a long time, I collected up old pieces of computers that nobody wanted anymore and reassembled them into Working machines and and uh, installed something on them and gave them away to to friends and that sort of thing i 've kind of quit doing that now, uh, probably out of time, and notebooks are just too hard to work with but uh, and then started using mint around the time of uh, i think nine Mint eight was the first version I actually installed. I had been uh, using uh, SUSE for a long time. And then Ubuntu came out. And so I switched over to using Kubuntu because I liked the KDE. This was in KDE 3.5 days. So I liked the, the desktop and used that. And then KDE 4 came out and about killed me. So I switched over to the GNOME desktop and ran GNOME on Ubuntu for a long time. And then Tried Mint and, and around the same time as I got into listening to podcasts, I drive about an hour each way to work now. And so I listened to podcasts back and forth and started listening to the guys on Mintcast and, and was because I was using Mint and quite liked it. Um, and all the rest of it is history, as they say.
2: All right, sounds good. I I know that I, I'd have to go back into the archives and look, and I'm sure Bill will do that of his own accord because that's what Bill <laughs> does. But he will that's tell what me. Gets paid for. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he, he will tell me the first episode that we mentioned Linux Mint in, and I know it's a very early one. I want to say it's probably in the single digits even. So, yeah, that ep-
1: was well before I ever found it, I think.
2: I think the episode had the word
0: Mint in it.
2: Well, that's entirely possible. I know we were talking about a lot of different Linux distributions during whatever episode that was. Because and it was mini-fresh. That's right. When I first started listening to Linux Mint, and I have to say that I have been a listener of Linux Mint since episode one, and that was back in the Charles and Rothgar days. Right, so, that's what
1: I listened to as well, yeah.
2: Right. So how did the transition come about that you became a Linux Mint caster? Um, I, I know it was basically because they decided they didn't have enough time to do it. And then a bunch of guys took over and you happen to be one of them and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, give us a little bit of your, you know, your thoughts on Linux Mint and the ideas behind the main cast and what you guys are doing over there so that, uh, the rest of us who are listening to our show will know what they're going to get into when they all jump over and listen to your show as well
1: well the, it was in that 's an interesting story too about how all that came about because I had no notion at all about doing a podcast or had never really been involved in in podcasting at all i'd, I'd been listening to various podcasts uh, as I was riding back and forth to work, and one of the things I found is that it really uh, soothed my temperament on the Houston freeways. Uh, because I was listening to the to the podcast, and so the idiots kind of the, – the world just swirled around me as I listened to these podcasts. And so um, – and there I, I had a regular rotation and still do have a regular rotation of, of podcasts I listen to. And so I had picked up Mintcast um, probably, I don't know, around maybe 40 – in the mid-40s someplace was where I first started listening to it. So I was – it was well after the – you know, they were doing – uh, one every two weeks. So they'd been going a year and a half or two years or so by the time, a year and a half, I guess, by the time I started listening to them. So I'm happily listening to them and then, and I'm, I'm riding along one morning and Rothgar makes the announcement that, you know, real life is kind of beginning to interfere with, um, his, uh, podcasting. And so he was going to have to take a break and he was going to have to be retiring from, um, the podcasting, and I thought to myself, oh, that's really a shame, you know, because I enjoy. you know, he was the the mobile guy. He was always wanting to talk about um, web OS and talk about cell phones and stuff. And so it, it was an interesting counterpoint to Charles. And so then Charles comes along and says, well, you know, I've been thinking the same thing, and I think I'm going to have to retire from this as well. So if there's anybody interested, you know, in in stepping in, and so i it was it was devastating to have those two guys disappear because they were the voice of Mintcast for me, so I thought about it, went home and i I fired off an email to uh charles saying well i I've absolutely no idea how to do a podcast. I don't know the first thing about it uh but uh, I can yatter on about almost nothing for indeterminate periods of time and and I have opinions on everything." So I just like to,
2: let me jump in and say that you have the same qualifications to podcast that Richard has. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs)
1: Well, but what shows in Richard's delivery of that, this style of podcasting is the years and years of experience he brings to it. I'm a relatively relative rookie at this.
0: Well, I mean, I remember the episode when Rothgard like, yep, going to have, give it up. Can't do it no more. Um, uh, in fact, and I had been listening to men cast regularly. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts as much as I used to. I used to listen to, uh, I would say 20 hours of podcast every single week. And when he said, when he come on and announced that it was like, no, oh, I you remember <laughs> that. Yeah. it's kind of like when the
1: dog dies and I am legend. Yeah. Well, and. And it it was one of a couple of podcasts that that happened on uh I listened to python four one one as well i don't know if you if you're a python programmer at all, but the there's a a guy was doing this podcast python four one one and it was python four one one computer programming for everyone and he had a very distinctive voice and and really did what I thought was really outstanding uh Research and podcasting, and so right around the same time, he announced he wasn't going to be able to continue it either, and I don't think anybody has actually picked that up now uh, from him. So I, anyway, I thought, okay, I can't let this go, and so I sent it off to to Charles, and and he says he sends back says, oh yeah, sure, you know, and they were so easygoing that when we first we we had kind of a a get together on. I guess it must have been on Mumble or something. I don't know where it was we all got on audio. Uh, but there were about a dozen people who had said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. So there was this great crowd of people. And so we all started kind of trying to figure out who was going to do what. And I think if you listen to – we we started around episode 51, I think. And so – and and I think 51, James and Harrison did it on – um, uh, just a shoestring. They, they had no time to get ready. They did something on gaming, I think. Um, and it was really before we had kind of gotten organized. Um, and so, you know, so we all started doing this and, you know, we don't know how to do audio things. None of us had really done anything before. So we got all these, um, I had a, I didn't even have a USB mic. I had a, an analog mic and a headset that I used for gaming. And I think Harrison had the same thing, and he was sitting in the the uh, workroom of his house with his family running around in the background, and James had some cylone old mic. And so it was pretty rough for a while. If you listen to those, the audio quality on those first podcasts was just pretty brutal.
0: Well, yeah, I understand. When I first started out, I had a, uh, a Logitech USB headset with a noise-canceling microphone on it.
1: Ooh, yeah. <laughs> it that's, was like
0: that's eye-rolling. That.
1: Yeah. Well, that would have been that would have been top drawer equipment for us when we first started out. Well, so, we
0: you, my very you can go you can even listen to the very first podcast episode I ever did ever and yeah. it's horrible. Horrible.
1: <laughs> well, it just goes to show that, you know, there's a a certain skill to this that uh, is not immediately obvious and and as a listener to podcasts, I had really no appreciation for the the complexity and the difficulty involved in, in putting one together that was, you know, re- technically reasonably well delivered, and then also had, you know, enough content to keep people awake and and that sort of thing. So, so over the th- those next few episodes, probably in the fifties and sixties from Mintcast, well, we decided we were going to do it every week that we needed to keep people's attention we were going to try and do it every week. Um, and again, we had no idea what that meant or what we were, how we were going to do it. Um, we just said, oh, yeah, let's do it every week. Oh yeah. Okay, sure. We can do that. So there was six or seven of us. And there was a real rotation of, of hosts in the first, those first bunch of podcasts. And then gradually over that first year, um, you know, for one reason or another, and not because they were negligent or didn't want to be on it, but, you know, people just sort of drifted off to doing other things. And so we've sort of settled into, um, the three of us that are pretty regular. This summer has been a little bit spotty as we, you know, people were out and, and Scott's had a bunch of, uh, work related stuff to do. And, and, uh, James has been moving back and forth to school, but James and Scott and I have kind of settled down as being the ones that sort of hung around and stuck it out. Um, Harrison was with us for a long time. Uh, and then I think real life got the better of him and he's had trouble, um, sort of getting connected to a regular schedule. So, and so that's where we are now. We're, we're sort of poking around trying to figure out. Now, sort of where we're going, what's the next thing. We we did video for, live video on, on Google Hangouts for, I don't know, four or five episodes. I think, Russ, you were on the, the first one of those. Um, and I think we've decided it's it's just too hard. You know, we, we mess everything else up when we try and do the video. So we've kind of backed away from that until we get better at it anyway.
0: Oh, we're back to me. I I think Russ dozed off.
1: (laughs) Oh, sorry. Well, see, now you got it. This was one of the things we remarked about our our pattern or style on Mintcast is more uh, interruptive, and so we tend to rattle on until somebody says, "All right, it's time for you to shut up." I'm going to talk for a while.
2: (laughs) All right, it's time for you to shut up. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So you guys are too polite. Yeah. No, we're not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're we're just too lazy. That's what the real problem is. Anyway, you know, uh, see the
0: reason we have people come on the show is so uh-huh. that we can take a nap. That's exactly right. Because if you ask the right question, you can get the guest to you talk can go get a ham sandwich.
1: Talking. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. I mean, do you know what happens when you're the only person, or you're one of two people who host a podcast? It means you have to talk at least half of the time, which is a pain in the ass.
1: Yeah, I did one podcast that way when the other guys weren't there, and it was painful. I, I had to go lay down afterwards.
2: Right. Okay. Well, I don't want our listeners to necessarily have to figure out or to go like spend their whole time listening to our podcast to figure out what your podcast is about. I mean, if they really want to listen to the mincast, they can go over to mincast.org and listen to you guys. So what I want to do is actually bring this over to the next level, which is to ask Rob, who happens to be here, some of his thoughts on things that are technology based and get his ideas about where we're going in our technological age, not necessarily about Linux Mint. Although, let, let's address this first topic first. This is the one wherein Richard has been having a lot of trouble with Linux Mint, and this is the Ubuntu-based Linux Mint, not the Debian one, because that's the one I use. Um, I've brought this up on the shows that I've done over there. Uh, Richard hasn't had the opportunity to talk to you guys directly, I don't think. Yeah.
0: Um, well. I make a bigger deal out of it than it really is. No, There's I think
1: few- he, he now he's trying to be nice. That's right, no, he's so, trying to back no, their- so,
0: Seriously, uh Linux Mint 13 is far superior to Linux Mint 12. Um uh, all the codecs are there like they're supposed to be and I'm not I'm, I'm in a position right now. I used to have like three or four machines running that I could uh, take my time and adjust them and get them the way I wanted to and now I'm in a position where I have to Throw an operating system on there and hope it works right the first time. And in some cases, some of the stuff that I need to do, the, uh, appropriate applications are crashy <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and with Linux Mint 12, it was even wor- or Yeah. With 12, it was even worse, but, uh, it's like I said, uh, I'm having trouble on the 32 bit version on my desktop, but my 64 bit uh, version that's on my, la- one of my laptops runs fine. Uh, Bill has Bill, uh, uh, KA9WKA has the opposite problem. So, <laughs> you know, I spent like a uh, Richard Gripes. If you've listened to more than one show of this, you know, Richard Gripes, <laughs> everybody in the chat room knows Richard Gripes. Everybody that listens to the show knows Richard Gripes. The family knows I grab. The people over three three counties away know that I grab. I grab.
2: Yes, you do. <laughs>
0: That's right. good I,
1: though. Yeah, you know, people cuss. know where they stand.
0: <laughs> if I wasn't cussing Linux, Linux Mint, I'd be
2: cussing Fedora. <laughs> You'd be cussing something. There's no question about that. So let's that, move on right. from the that bullet point down at the bottom there, where Richard says Linux Mint sucks. I would like to reference in the chat room. Remember let's when I put said that in there. No, I put that in there because you told me to put that in there. Oh, I didn't tell you put it in there. I just said, where's yeah, you just, the you, line
0: that says Linux Mint? I know.
2: You're backpedaling again.
1: <laughs> so we, we actually talked about this a couple of episodes back because I think somewhere in one of the podcast, one of our comments, we had sort of made the comment that, well, you know, we thought that the quality of Mint had been slipping recently, I think was the comment that was made. It was the episode that James and I did that we were, we were looking at the XFCE, uh, min 13 XFCE, the RC. And so we were kind of pretty negative about it. And I think he'd had too much cough syrup that night. So he was on a bit of a rip. And we talked about it again afterwards. (laughs) And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, well, and when I put Mint 13 XFC on the box that I do my little experiments and stuff on, it crashed and burned. I couldn't ever even get it to run. So I wasn't very happy with it at all. That same box, though, runs Mint 13, the main edition with the Mate desktop, and it just, it runs all the time. Um, it's been up now. Well, this one's 14 days, and I think we were out of town, and that's why I got shut down. So it just runs all the time, and it's very stable, does every, pretty much everything I want it to, which is is not a whole lot uh, beyond sort of experimenting. My main Linux box is an LMDE, 64-bit LMDE uh, notebook that's probably five or six years old now. It's got a Centrino. It's an HP notebook with a Centrino Two processor in it, so it's not a real beefy machine, Uh, but it also just runs, you know. And and ever since I well, I had I had LMDE on it, and then the hard drive crashed, and so I lost it. So I switched over to I think it was Mint 12 KDE for a while, and it was sort of okay, but I really don't care much for the KDE desktop. It just kind of grated on me. So I eventually blew it away and and put LMDE back on with Cinnamon. And so that's what I've been running ever since. And I've had almost no problems with it. It very seldom ever does anything strange.
0: Well, you know, uh, they lost me when they went to KDE 4 where KDE is concerned. Yeah, they lost me as well. I mean, I've been on GNOME ever since. Yep. and been running ubuntu which you can say a lot of things about ubuntu but when they put out a long term release it was pretty solid and the, thing, uh, uh, yeah, the thing
1: that that sold me on ubuntu was i put with well, the first cd that i ever got of it i stuck it in whatever the computer was that i'd been working on and you know in the in those this was uh oh i think i know what it was i had red hat 9 came out and then they got rid of Red Hat. It it died. So I thought, okay, I gotta go find something. I tried several things that basically didn't work. They couldn't wouldn't work on the hardware I had. Stuck the Ubuntu disk in, booted up and installed, and everything worked. Every piece of hardware on the machine worked. And so I said, okay, that's it. I'm an Ubuntu guy from now on. Because it uh, they were the first distro that really took the broad hardware base that that we have to work with and just made everything work so i've been ubuntu ever since
0: oh yeah i was on it from dapper drake and until they went stupid with that desktop they're using now i've stuck with it but uh, it's like i said i don't have time i would prefer to run debian myself just good good old-fashioned debian but yep. I don't have the time to get it set up the way I need it to work and be able to keep everything flowing around here. So with the lack of Ubuntu, the time it takes to set up Debian, uh, then Linux Mint's the only game in town right now. So yeah,
1: LMD is, is what you want because well, it's, it moves slowly enough. You have to choose the right repos though. You got to get on the, the, Latest, you got to get LMD install, get appointed at the at what Mint calls the latest repo.
0: Yeah, uh, I was having an issue with that also. I think it was a spell checker or something like that it wasn't working on about half of my stuff, and huh. a lot of the stuff I do is text related. So,
1: yeah, but yeah.
0: Anyway, so when thirteen come out, which I get, I believe is a long term uh... support release. Also, I think um, so. Yep i plugged it in if most of the stuff i needed to work worked uh through a couple of updates now all of the stuff seems to work like it's supposed to but you know it's one of them deals i can only get it to run about seven days without me having to restart it because it'll something will crash and hang it up or it'll drop out to i don't know what screen that is It it looks like a Looks like the X server's crashing or something, and it goes yeah. goes out, and I have to turn it off and restart it or something. Every once in a while, I will unplug my
1: telephone, my telephone into the crash. Yeah, <laughs> Jeez. yeah. Oh. You know, I haven't, James whines about stuff like that too. That he'll have trouble with this or trouble with that, and and I'm always thinking, well, you know, I I just you know bang my head on the wall here, but I don't have a lot of of troubles with the the base mint that I use all the time the mint thirteen and and uh, the lmde that I'm using I I just don't have trouble with them so that and that's why I've stuck with them I I would have deep sixed it long I have no patience for fiddling around with this thing to get it to to do what I need it to do uh, I like tinkering to with things like conky and writing programs and stuff like that but if the base level Operating system doesn't work. I, that just frustrates me, and I'm not going to stick with it long enough to make it work. Oh, yeah. I like playing with Kalki. <laughs> yeah. There's all kinds of fun stuff you can do with that.
0: Well, I've got one, an old Dell Latitude that I've got crunch buying on that oh, yeah. I haven't had access to in some time. But when I had it up and running, I was using it to drive a radio terminal type program that I have. Yeah. And uh, I'd spend my time in there. uh adjusting on the conky and getting it the way i wanted it because it would look cool if i took the laptop out and showed it to some of the radio guys you yeah know, that kind yeah. of thing well, that's
1: mostly what conky's for right you don't yeah. really need to know all that stuff about your computer
0: exactly i'm just worried about if i'm about to run out of hard drive more than anything else yeah um well, Russ is probably sitting over there shaking his head. So we need to get by. Probably need to get back on his list. Uh, so let's see. Um. Uh. Oh, uh, Rob from the Cast, What are your thoughts on UEFI?
1: Oh, UEFI. Um, well, this is one of my favorite topics because I don't know much about it, and so I feel free to just expound at great length on the thing. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my that's my plan of attack. <laughs> So, I guess, um, what do I think about that? Well, first thing, um, you got to applaud the desire of um, these guys to improve the general security of these devices. So, you got to give them credit for that. What, what, at least what the marketing says is that UEFI is intended to prevent um, malware and viruses from getting onto your system. So, okay. That's good. I like that. Um, the second thing that everybody seems to be really bent out of shape about is all your, it's a freedom question. You're taking away my freedom. You know, you're not letting me do whatever I want to do with my device. And, and I really think that's a load of badgers, what that is.
0: Um, you, you've been listening to this show too long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I,
1: I, yeah, I know. It's going to happen anyway, so I may as well just put it in for you. Save you a little trouble uh, on post. Um, you know, so I buy a computer. I buy this device that does something. The notion that I should be able to easily mung the device to make it do whatever I want it just strikes me as kind of an odd sort of attitude to have towards things because we don't have it towards anything except – our computers, you know, you'd buy a microwave oven and you don't hear people getting all bent out of shape because they can't reprogram the microwave to to blast out some different frequency of microwaves or something. You know, they just buy it as a device and people are doing it with cell phones and even tablets to a, a lesser extent. But these things are becoming devices that you do something with. And so I can't install Linux on it. Well, okay, so what? If I want to install Linux on a device, I'll go buy a device that either has it on there already or that lets me install it. So, you know, UEFI comes out and the PCs start showing up with UEFI on it. I'm going to look at that and say, okay, this device has windows on it and it's going to have Windows on it for its whole existence. And so I need I make my purchasing decision on that basis this is going to be my Windows box. And I've always got a Windows box around for uh, DDO, so that's going to be my Windows box. I'm not going to put Linux on it. And now I'm going to go buy a piece of hardware to put Linux on. Well, I'm not going to go buy one that's got UEFI BIOS in it. And so that means I'm not going to buy a Windows box. I'm going to have to go buy something else. Probably right now what it means is I'm going to buy my own box and put my own operating system on it, and then I can do whatever I want with it. But the notion that I should get all bent out of shape because the hardware manufacturer and Microsoft got together and put something on there that stops me from putting Linux on it, I really don't give a rip. I'll I'll factor that in when I make my purchasing decision.
0: Yeah, and I haven't heard a whole lot about this except for the the top layer of it. And, um, And myself... Um, I do take into account that a lot of people don't even pay attention to that. Uh, which means that they would probably end up with a machine that had it, had it on there. And then if they decided later to, Hey, my buddy gave me a Linux disk, let me stick it in here and see, see, cause I can see a lot of benefit to having Linux, them not being able to run it. But other than that, right. um, I really haven't heard enough uh research this enough myself just yet to uh to have much of an opinion on it. And this is when we reach over and poke Russ and make him wake up. Hello Russ. <laughs> See, we did uh-huh. it to him. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, he's got well, this great great big glass full of Crown Royal over there.
1: Crown Royal man, See, oh, hanging up on him. Crown you you got crap. two fog generators against one sane person. This is this is not gonna end well, Russ. Uh,
2: I know. I've done this show for 89 episodes. You don't have to tell me how things go. Hey, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <good> <laughs> Do I actually have to ask a question or something? Are we done with UEFI and I can move on? Well, actually, yeah,
0: I, I'm, I'm done, done with UEFI. I wanted to hear Russ's thoughts on it before we go to the next thing, because well, I think Russ's opinion is important. Uh, well,
1: he's an open software guy, so. I've already discussed like, my well, thoughts I
2: on UEFI, I think both here and on the Mint cast. so. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: okay, so move on mm-hmm. to the next thing. Damn, wake up, earn your pay, boy. That's right.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he doing that when he walked in the door.
2: Yeah. All right, Rob, software patents, go. <laughs>
1: uh, um, <laughs> yeah, this is a mess. Um, I think I said on the, the last episode of Mintcast that I'm just so tired of hearing about this nonsense. Um. So, what do I think about software patents? Okay, well, um if somebody's going to work hard enough to uh, develop a piece of software it seems fair to me that number 1 that software should somehow belong to them cuz they thought it all up and created it so there's in some sense i think there's some property ownership there that that a person has um and if you choose to go and make money by selling your software, I think you should be able to do that. And that's generally what patents are about. I have a good idea. I build a widget. Um, the the patents recognize that the value is not in the widget. It's in the idea that was into the widget. And as And as soon as you see it, you say, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And the making of another one is easy compared to the thinking of the first one. So that's what patents were, I think, originally intended to do, is to protect the idea that was embodied in the device. So for, with software, things are a, a lot slipperier. And I think part of the problem that we've got is software appeared in, at a very high frequency compared to the development of technology before it. And so it the pat, The whole patent system is based on the notion that well, it takes you you know five or ten years or five years or so to kind of really build something and and make it go and and get your money out of it and so' there's the patent 's got this seventeen year window on it that says okay you 're protected, your idea is protected uh, for seventeen years, and then after that, anybody can do whatever they want with it, and you can 't protect it anymore. In the software world, 17 years is an eternity. You know, that's like forever is one thing. And the other thing, there is no physical thing that, that you're building. It, it's, uh, um, it's all ideas. And so I think software patents just are not, they're a good idea that's not up to the task of protecting what the, the work that people do. So I, I think that's what fundamentally, re- the problem with it. I don't think that software patents are, or that patents generally are evil. Uh, and I think I'm probably at odds with the uh, open software folks. And I know James and I go hammer and tongs on this particular issue fairly regularly because he's an open software, uh, software freedom kind of advocate, much more so than I am anyway. Um, I just don't buy the idea that there's something intrinsic about software that means that it should be free. It's just another idea like other ideas. And there's no, nothing that says that all ideas ought to be free. So I think we're in deep doo-doo with the patent system. Um, the way it is now, and it's showing in all these lawsuits and, and all this nonsense that's going through the courts with Apple and Samsung and Google and all those guys. Um, and I think it's going to cause us trouble. The other thing I think about software patents is I think most people don't care and aren't even aware that this is all going on. It's sort of background noise for most people. They they walk into the Verizon store and say, okay, my contract's up, you know, I've got to get a new phone. Oh, this one looks really cool. I'm gonna take it. They don't care if it's an iPhone or if it's a Android phone or or what release it is or how they look at it and say, does you know, does it have the right things on it? Does it do what I want it to do? Off they go. They buy it. They don't care whether the idea has been ripped off. They don't care whether there's a big patent fight going on. And they're they're oblivious to the whole thing. The only people that I hear talking about it are the tech blogs and the the uh, tech podcasts that I listen to. They're all yattering away constantly about it. But near as I can tell, we're the only ones who care. Nobody else really cares. Most of the world doesn't care. So it's a bit of a, an uh, irrelevancy. It costs us money, but it... Beyond that, it's it's not a very significant thing, I don't think.
0: Well, yeah, and in my case, uh, I have actually told the guy at the phone store that I didn't want anything that had Windows on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I did the same thing, but I did that because uh, Windows Mobile. The last time I was in the the market for a phone, Windows Mobile was a piece of garbage. I had a phone with Windows Mobile on it, and I. I survived the two years I had the phone, and I went back in and said, I don't ever want another one of these things again.
2: Well, hang on a minute, because I've got something to say about software patents. I thought maybe you
1: might. (laughs) You're one (laughs) of those left-wing libertarian guys, aren't you? Oh, don't
2: even start with me. No. Actually, (laughs) I happen to agree with you, but for a totally different reason. The thing is, you said something about the, the patent system is sort of to protect the ideas of a company who you know, create something who does the R&D, et cetera, et cetera, Uh, if I'm not misinterpreting what you said.
1: Yeah, it's to protect the ideas of a person is what I think where it originally came from today that turns into those those ideas get owned by a company because people don't invent so much as companies now.
2: Okay, well, I think you're completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think... I, the, the the fascinating thing about this as far as software patents is concerned is, I think, the ultimate end to the software patents. I think we both agree that software patents are ridiculous and they should be done away with, but yes. you come at it from one way and I come at it from the other way. And, and my way of thinking is that the patent system is designed to protect things, not ideas. It's actually designed to protect the physical representation of an idea. In other words, if you do the R and D and you come up with a, a compound that creates a drug that treats Parkinson's disease, for example, or if you come out with a specific kind of cog and pulley arrangement that creates a machine that pulls cotton from cotton stocks, that that is the thing that is protected under patent law. And the thing is, It's the physical embodiment of that idea that gets protected. And it is not the idea of the thing that you created that is patentable. Therefore, no ideas, no intellectual property can be subject to patent. Therefore, the idea that you can patent the way something works, the way an operating system does something, the way a user interface interfaces with a human operator is not something that is patentable, and I think for that reason, software patents are ridiculous. Not for what yeah,
1: I really, yeah, I really think it's pushed the patent system is, has has kind of fallen, oh. slid down a slippery slope um, because the. Uh, I agree with you that the that what was originally being protected in the patent system were devices, and actually, the. To get a patent, you had to actually bring a device with you to the patent office at one point, I guess. You know, you had to have one that that you could show and they could poke at it and stuff. Right, you can't
2: can't patent a concept. You have to patent a thing.
1: Yeah, you couldn't just take a drawing in or describe the idea. You had to have the thing there. And the thing and all things that looked like it um, were what was actually protected. And the problem that we got into was these computers came along and they were devices whose function could easily be changed, right? It was a thing that did more than one thing and the more than one, and it was easy to change, drastically change what the device did by just fooling with the device. And that kind of put the whole patent system on its ear, I think, because, you know, I can bring in a device Still, that has a particular user interface on it that that the person interacts with in a certain way. I can show that to the patent office so, and say, "Okay, I want to patent this device." Well, what does that mean exactly? Is it is it just the hardware? Well, yeah, okay. Even if it's just the hardware, the hardware includes the particular patterning of magnetic pulses in the the EEPROM that is in that one. So in a sense, how am I not patenting the software when I patent the device? Yes. It's the same thing. And that's, that's the slippery, that's the thin edge of the wedge that as soon as they started down that road, then you were, you were full blown into patenting software and, and you, you got the, the goofiness that we have now, which is just, it's not sustainable because the, it's, it's not that it's wrong to patent software. It's just, Impossible. It, it just it physically it you know the mechanics of it just don't work. You can't do it.
2: Right, and that and that is where I agree with you in the fact that basically what's happened is we haven't been able to keep up. We're still thinking of you know 1770s ideals where the Constitution right. doesn't re- doesn't reflect society of the 21st century, and the patent system doesn't reflect uh, the new technologies and the way technology is brought to market. In the 21st century, we basically have a, a set of ideals that defines how things worked back when it actually worked and made sense. But now things have advanced and it doesn't make sense anymore. We just haven't been able to upgrade uh, to make things fit into the new paradigm. So we're kind of screwed left and right. Doesn't matter until we figure out how to properly approach software patents. Big messes like Samsung and Apple are just going to happen. I think that's just the way it is.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and interestingly enough, I think um, software patents are not the only area of our um, society that that is in this kind of boat. Uh, I think there are lots and lots of things, um, societal structures and organizational structures that really worked pretty well in the 19th and the early part of the 20th century that just are not working as well anymore. The whole whole legal system is like that. Now, it, there's there's just bunches of things that, that don't work very well. Our politics, our political systems haven't kept up with technology, and, and it's not that politicians don't use technology. It's that technology has changed the way that people relate to one another, and our political systems aren't keeping up.
2: Yep, I, I 100% agree. Uh, Richard, do you have anything to say on this before I move on to the next thing?
1: Oh, no, go
0: on, go on ahead.
2: All right, well, let's move on ahead. And actually, since we've been talking a long time, I think we'll be able to cut down to a couple more um topics to discuss. And then we don't even have to do feedback because this is going to be a long one. Interviews always seem to take longer than we think they're going to. But anyway, that's because we're people, people, and we like talking to folks. That's right. We like to blather on about stuff that we have no idea what we're talking about. So one of my people. favorite things to do. Excellent. People we like that's right. So, Rob, have you had any experience with Windows 8? And if you have, uh, or any of the later versions of Windows, what do you think of them, and how do you think they relate to the Linux community, and and do you see them as any kind of threat to open source going forward, or are they, you know, on different but parallel tracks into the technology future?
1: Well, I haven't seen or played with uh, Windows 8 at all, and so you know for everything i know about it i can tell you in in under 10 seconds it it's little square boxes that look like that cell phone interface thing that's it that's what i know about windows 8 oh gnome shell <laughs> yeah, don't or, no 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 i actually like Unity gnome shell or so. something maybe i don't know it's you know i can't distinguish them um i was listening to uh going linux um late last week i guess was before Monday, anyway. Late last week, I was listening to them. and so they were, they were talking about Windows eight and and you know what everybody's saying about it is it's oh it's going to be a big disaster. It's it's the every other Windows is a disaster problem, and Windows eight is the every other one, and it's going to be a, a chaos. And Linux has got this great opportunity. Um, and you know, I I'm just I'm skeptical about that whole. The Linux community is all in a froth about how bad Windows 8 is and and how we're going to come in, and this is the year of Linux on the desktop, although people have stopped saying that because it's become such a cliché. But I just don't see it happening. And what I see them doing with Windows 8, the Gnome Shell, Unity, um, all these guys are looking at computers – and saying, you know, we've had this this keyboard, mouse, screen, menu kind of interface now for quite a while, and our hardware is changing. You know, it's getting much more powerful and much smaller, and they're looking around to try and figure out, well, what's a better way to interact with the computer? Because if you think about, you know, a keyboard, the layout of the keys – was specifically designed to slow you down you know they that's why the keys are arranged the way they are is because when they built the first typewriters they had them arranged in some different way and they would type too fast and it would jam the keys up and so they scrambled the keys all around put them in different order to slow people down so it's like the whole interface is not built for people it it really it gets in our way now we've we're we're pretty good we're pretty adaptable individuals as individuals and so we've gotten really good at using this clunky kind of combination of keyboard and mouse but it's just wrong it's not i don't think it's really designed for people I, and I, i'm not sure i know what is but i that's what i see in windows 8 and in unity are people trying to find a better way to interact with the, the machine and make it do what it is I want it to do. People are all up in arms because it's different. And that's near as I can tell, the only thing that the thing that characterizes all these things compared to what you might call the, the Windows ninety eight or the GNOME two style of interface is that these things are all different and weird. And so people are saying, "Oh, you'll, you'll pry my gnome 2 out of my cold, dead hands." Well, that's just the reaction to change. People change when they're forced to, and not before. And you're going—that's always going to happen. I think what, what I think is not clear is whether these new um, interface metaphors are any better, or are they in fact just different. Windows has a long history of random gratuitous changes to the interface that make no sense and are not actually easier to use and just slow you down for six months while you learn where they hid the new stuff. I think GNOME 3 did that. Unity certainly did it. It's not that it's worse. It's just that everything's been scrambled. It's all in a different place. You have to think about the whole thing differently. So um, I don't think that uh, this Windows, Windows 8 may... Fail it may not. It'll largely, I think, depend on uh, how buggy the software is. That's what killed Vista. Is the thing was just a piece of garbage from a software point of view, um, and so they fixed all the bugs and called it Windows 7. Uh, Windows 7's a great release. You know, it's it's really stable and it works extraordinarily well. I have almost no problems with with my Windows 7 box as I don't with the LMDE box. If Windows 8 is buggy and doesn't work, it'll be a disaster. If, though, the quality is there, and if they have thought about and and tested the interface, I think there's going to be a lot of folks in the Linux community who are eating their words in a year's time. Uh, I have to believe that there are people at Microsoft who are smart enough to know that you can test interface ideas. In a, a previous life, I I did a bunch of uh, – I managed a software development group. And so one of the things that we did was something that we that is called usability testing. And so we would take our software and we would sit somebody down in front of a computer that had our software on it, and we would give them a task to do. And then we would record – every button they pushed, as near as we could tell, everything they looked at, every mouse move that they made. And what we were trying to figure out is did the interface make sense to them? Was it obvious how to do things? Did they did they go faster or slower with this? I have to believe that Microsoft has done that because they're smart, smart people, and they got smart software people there. They have to have done that kind of testing and figured out that, yes, people really do figure this interface out faster, they can they can do it better somehow than they could with Windows 7. Um, if they haven't done that, then it's going to be a disaster and it's going to fall on its ears. Um, the problem with Unity was that they're what Canonical is trying to do is that same thing, but their audience is different. Their audience is all of us. It's it's all the technoweenie geeks that kind of are invested in the in the bare metal deep down Part of the system. And so you go changing stuff like that. And I don't want some, I don't want some simple, easy to use, easy to understand interface. Much as I say that I want that. What I want is my interface that I have learned all of the little wrinkles and warts and corners of and that I can make sit up and spit nickels. That's what I really like. And so you change it, make it easier. I don't like it. I like my old hard one because it was better. Um, I don't know if you remember. Uh, WordStar from the old word processor days it, it was just a disaster it was a DOS based word processor that used all these goofy meta key you know control alt w did something and there were all these weird keys that you had to know and so Microsoft comes along with word and the things a walk in the park to use you just look at it and and you point at what you want it to do and then you type and you want it to be bold while well, you you. Select the text and you mark, you click the bold button and it's bold. You don't have to remember that, oh, that's, you know, angle bracket B, angle bracket, you know, you, you don't have to put all the codes in there. Well, people, the WordStar people were up in arms about it, that, that it was a piece of junk. It was way too hard to use because they were way faster with WordStar. They were wrong. Word was easier to use, the GUI was easier to use. And I think there are things like that that we're going to find in Windows 8 as well.
2: Personally, I'd like to sort of sum up my feelings about Windows 8 in the sense that I feel it's kind of an overcorrection for Windows. Basically, I think of it in the sense of you look at all of the Windows development that's come before, and a lot of the stuff is very uh, retroactive to the way things are developing. And a lot of the the you know previous Windows development has come out late. You know, when you think yeah. about all of the the operating systems that are named for, like, years that are supposed to come out, they stopped doing that because they figured out when they called it Windows 98 (laughs) and it came out in 2000 that they better stop naming it. That was a bad idea. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Right, so they start naming it, you know, they start giving it a number and then they don't have to worry about that kind of thing. But basically they knew that all of their development was coming out late. Their ideas were coming, but they were coming too slow to actually make market sense. Now they decided that in Windows 8 that they should be – Ahead of the game, they should overcorrect, but it, but in a sense, I think they've kind of done the thing like when you overcorrect in a car, basically you drifted off into the soft shoulder. You said, Oh my God, what am I supposed to do now? So you overcorrect to the left, and Windows 8 is going to be the thing that happens just before you hit the bridge abutment. But
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. What a great analogy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So. And and I can't speak to whether this is actually going to happen or not, but I think the idea is that Windows has taken this to a dual uh, device level. It's either going to be for the desktop or for the tablet environment, some sort of mobile computing space. And they want Windows 8 to be compatible with both of those ideals. And it's going to remain to be seen whether the tablet space, whether the mobile device space actually is there for them to put this operating system on. I've seen lots of articles come out lately in tech journals and stuff that talk about the de- the demise of the tablet market. And the tablet market hasn't even started yet. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm not yeah. sure where this is going to wind up. And I think they're trying to be proactive. But whether it actually turns out to be, you know, a value add for Microsoft is, you know, remains to be seen. So, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. the, You know, what's going to happen with desktops that that. I think you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but I'll bet you're exactly right that Windows is, Microsoft is saying, okay, which way are the trends going? And they're trying to extrapolate a little too far, and they're extrapolating to where we all have tablets and nobody has a desktop computer anymore. And they said, oh, what are we going to do with that? You know, our stuff doesn't work. And so that's where Windows 8 comes out. I think we're a ways away from that. You know, tablets are really, really incredibly useful, much more so than than I would have predicted. Um, But the 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 mobile connectivity is not there to make them really useful. Uh, It's way too expensive. You know, the fact that I would have to pay like a hundred bucks a month just to have my tablet always connected. That's just goofy. We've got to solve that bandwidth cost problem before tablets are really going to be everywhere. And I, th- so, and I think desktops are going to be around longer than what Windows or what Microsoft thinks they're going to be around. And, and if, so if they built Windows 8 to be a tablet operating system, it's going to be a disaster. Nobody's going to use it. We're all going to stay on Windows 7.
2: Yeah. And, and I agree with you that Windows 7 is a fantastically stable platform. I don't use yeah. it as much as probably a lot of other people do because I use Linux for almost everything I do. But where I do need Windows, Windows 7 has been, okay. I clearly and far and away the best of the Windows to date. I mean, there's no question about that. Yep. It's, it's really yep, been solid. So.
1: All right. And I think people are going to stay with that. And I think that's why Windows 8, even if it crashes and burns, it represents a zero opportunity for Linux because people will just ignore Windows eight and they'll 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 insist as they did with xp they'll enterprises will say to Microsoft, No, we won't take Windows eight and we will buy our computers from whatever manufacturer will sell us Windows seven computers we won't install Windows eight at all they're not going to go. The company I work for work for is not going to go looking at Linux as an alternative. And no all the consumer market is going to buy whatever they put in the Best Buy store. And if that's yeah. Windows eight, that's what people are going to buy
2: right. and And that's been one of the complaints about uh, operating systems in the desktop market all along is that the major vendors are at the mercy of Microsoft right now because they started in it. They're still embedded. they're still yep. embedded and in bed with Microsoft as a provider and people just sort of use what comes on the machine. They don't see a PC as a PC wherein you add an operating system. They see a PC as a piece of hardware that comes with windows on it. And we haven't figured out a way to
1: overcome that barrier yet. Yeah. So the only thing that might, might do that, and I, I don't know whether this is something that would ever happen or not, but you can imagine, you know, some somebody going in who's, who's not a, 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 computer geek they're a regular person and they're they're um you know five-year-old computer junior spilled coke in it and it died and so they got to go buy a new computer so they go down to the best buy and they say okay i need to buy a new computer what do you got and so they look at windows 8 machines and maybe enough of these kind of folks will look at it and say no i that's weird I, i don't want one of those things have you got one of the older ones you know, the other one, the the one that's like the one I got. So I don't know if people will say that or not. Because if they say that, then Best Buy initially is going to have to say, no, that's what we got. And so what they'll find is that anything that has Windows 7 on it sells out immediately. And then it won't take them long to start looking around and say, okay, guys, well, you know, what are we going to sell? These, these Windows 8 boxes are not selling very fast. Maybe they'll... St- They'll go to Dell and say, "Well, why don't you send me some of those ones that got? I think they've got what uh, RHEL preloaded or Ubuntu. I don't. I'm not sure which ones that that Dell is selling. But you can. There are vendors around who will put Linux on these machines. Uh, ship it with Linux on it. Maybe if people are asking for an interface that looks like the old thing, that might be the opportunity because you know all the retail stores they will. Will stock whatever sells, and so if they can sell a Linux box easier, they'll stock that. Well, but that'll only happen if consumers decide they don't like Windows 8 and won't buy it. they won't buy a new computer with that on it.
2: right, and they may just buy it just because it's called Windows. We don't know this is you know pure speculation at this point, so no way to know right. We are going way over time, and I had a million more things to ask, and there's probably, you know, two hours more stuff we could talk about, but we're going to have to shut this down. So, Richard, uh, do you have anything to add on this Windows discussion before we decide that we're going to pack it up and get on out of here?
0: Well, um not a whole lot else. I mean, you know, Windows, it's like he said, you know, Windows has been there in the market. For so long and there's so many deals going on, the world thinks a, a, a desktop computer runs on Windows until they have somebody else uh, show them that there is an alternative. You know, they pretty effectively killed OS2, which, uh, even though it wasn't my favorite was, uh, wasn't too terribly bad. Secondly, uh, Microsoft, you kind of got to wonder about how smart them guys are because it's been my experience that every version of Windows since Windows 3, um, the beta test was done on the users. The users were the beta testers because you ended up with 311 uh, before it was uh, reasonably bug free. And then with Windows 95, you had to get the, uh, uh, what they call that, special edition, second edition? Was,
1: yeah, Windows 98, the, the second edition was the, yeah. the one to use, yeah.
0: And then uh, Millennium, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> that was
1: the off-brand, yeah, don't do that. And
0: and even XP, XP had a rash problem. A lot of people forget about it because everybody wants it now because everybody had 10 years to get used to it.
1: Well, NT was in there, and it was a parallel path, and then XP was supposed to be sort of the replacement for that. But yeah, you're right. It was like Service Pack three before XP really got Uber stable where everybody loved it.
0: Right. And I mean I ran uh two thousand for a while. And yeah, I mean the only difference I could tell between it and XP was the uh the actual desktop interface. Yeah. So I mean, and, and it was super stuff. So it's always been my opinion, and I I'm one of the few people that had a copy, or that you will admit to have had a, having a copy of Windows 2.0 on a computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know that's how far back I go with that mess, and I don't even use it anymore. I'm kind of like you. I got one machine. Yep. That I use to run my scanner so I can scan paperwork for work. And it also runs a copy of iTunes because I have a do have an iPod that was given to me for Father's Day one year. So I feel kind of obligated to use it and yep. <laughs> can't get it to work right under under Linux for some reason. Yep. And uh, that's pretty much it. But, you know, the, the, the whole Microsoft thing, I'm. I, <laughs> Uh, I just, I could go for hours on that, but here's what I'd like to do instead. Since we've run out and since we haven't hit the end of Russ's list, I'm sure he probably wants to, probably wants to pick your brain a little more. Uh, (laughs) would you be amiable to coming back on the show at some point?
1: I'd love to come back and chat with you guys again. I, I could, could run on for, for many hours. I think we could probably talk a long time. I don't know how long people are willing to listen to it, but, uh. Yeah, I'd love to come back and visit with you again.
0: Well, I know on resonant frequency, I've gone over two hours more than once, and we've gone over an hour and a half here at least once. Isn't that right, Russ?
2: Uh, more times than I care to admit, because one point (laughs) when we started this show, we said it was never going to be more than about 30 minutes. Then it kind of, we said it was never going to be more than 60 minutes. Now it's not going to be more than 90 minutes. And I don't know, we're creeping up on that two hours pretty quick.
1: 30 minutes. Richard can't hardly get started in 30 minutes. Yeah. I Actually, would-
0: I do a show. I still do a, a second show, which is just basically me rambling into the microphone of a, a sense, clip for about 30 minutes. Yeah and they consistently come in and le- come in at less than 30 minutes. So uh yeah, it's it's a it's a low maintenance thing to keep the listeners to the old show happy until something else comes along. But yeah, I can I can ramble for less than 30 minutes.
1: <laughs> I have trouble getting stopped in 30 minutes as you might have <laughs> noticed. Uh-huh.
2: I do want to go back to something that it was. Uh, we talked about earlier, and it was in the chat room. And I said that Bill was going to do his thing and tell us when was the first time we mentioned Linux Mint on our show. And it turns out that it was in episode number two, number two wow. of Linux in the Ham Shack. We first mentioned Linux Mint. So wow. yeah, that was the back in uh, those. October. Back of, in the day. Yeah, October of two thousand and eight. So. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah! That was well, no I knew ago.
0: about Mint back then because I used to listen to the guys over at Fresh Ubuntu and uh, Larry over going Linux. We kind of have a friendly thing going on and have had for some time, and I was even friendly with the guys at Linux Action show back then, so uh, everybody kinda we all kind of listened to each other's shows and stuff, and yeah. we heard about Linux Mint coming along, and then Russ became a fanboy, and the rest is history <laughs> that's right.
2: <laughs> All right. So thanks very much, Rob. We will definitely talk to you in the future, but we have gone so long on this episode. I'm probably going to have to trim it down a little bit, but thanks once again. And if you want to go ahead and tell us where people can get in touch with you or listen to the mint cast, go ahead and do that. And then we're going to wrap things up. Yes.
0: This is your opportunity for selfless, uh, shameless self-promotion,
1: shameless self-promotion. One of the things that I do best. Uh, well, I want to say that this has just been a delightful experience being on with you guys. I, I have really enjoyed uh, chatting with you or letting you, le- enjoyed you letting me talk at you. Yeah, that's more like what actually happened. But uh, it Welcome delightful. to Texas, y'all. <laughs> and to welcome to the acquisition Texas Texas, of Lenox and Hamshack. <laughs> I wasn't born here, but I got here as soon as I could. He got the lingo down. <laughs> So, yeah, you can uh, catch episodes of Mintcast over on www.mintcast.org. And we record Monday nights at uh, seven central, which I think is midnight UTC. Um, and the podcasts normally get released on Thursdays. So we're sticking pretty much to that uh, Monday, Thursday. We're broadcast live on, uh, Jupiter Broadcasting is where we've been broadcasting recently. Um, and so we come on there live. At round about 7 o'clock, the truth of the matter is that we get actually doing real serious recording stuff after we've fooled with the equipment for a while, around 7.30 or 7.40, and we go for about an hour. Or so uh, the shows are about an hour, an hour and a half. But uh, would love to have any visitors over there that, uh, that are interested. Well, there you go. You know, y'all, you, you know, you guys need to talk to the that fellow that
0: runs Black Sparrow Media and see if y'all can get on his feed. He's looking for shows to put on his aggregator over there.
1: Well, you know, I, I've heard you guys talk about that, and uh, I went and looked at it once and thought, hmm, yeah, okay, I don't know what that is. James kind of handles a lot of that stuff for us, and so I don't know very much about Black Sparrow Media. Who is it? it is it? I kind of got the impression it was you guys that were. We're running it.
2: (laughs) That's correct. It is us. It is we. Okay. Well, see, see,
0: that's the deal. We-
1: <laughs> this is <laughs> the secret. She- I wasn't supposed to say that. No no, no, no,
0: no. That's fine. See, the thing about it is we have no shame. We, <laughs> you can tell because we work together. So uh, we have no shame at all. So if we can, like, scarf up another show to get on the network over there, we're going to do it.
1: <laughs> well, we need to look at that because I think that's a great idea. Because one of the things I think people have trouble doing is finding uh podcasts that are of interest to them because there's a bazillion podcasts and you go to these to the big aggregators and and there's just thousands of you know three guys making funny jokes and using cuss words all the time that i don't know that's not what i'm interested in And and it's hard to find stuff so you know having a these smaller aggregators i think it's a good idea All right, well, maybe Uh we
2: need to talk after the show or, you know, not like five minutes after the show. But at some point, we'll
1: talk about it. I think that's a good idea.
2: All right, well, this is where I'm going to make Richard actually start talking and wrapping up the show because I'm going to start playing the outro music and then we're going to have to wrap it up. So,
1: you ready, Richard? All right. He's got his big bottom on. Three, two, one.
2: Let's go. Oh, listen, the music's playing.
1: That means it must be time
0: to go. Oh, my goodness. We have a quiet evening. All right, so let's 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 do the mandatory stuff. Uh thank y'all for joining us this time around. I am Richard, KB5JBV. If you want to get in touch with me, you can contact me at KB5JBV at gmail dot com. KB5JBV at gmail.com because I never can remember the other address. Or you can catch up with me on the social networks. Identica, I'm not real sure about no more, but we are on Google Plus, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, Go look us up and check it out. Also, visit the Linux in the Ham Shack page over at Facebook. Uh, Any kind of information that gets put out about the show ends up over there, one way or the other. If you don't want to go over to the to the uh, uh, website because it's a little out of the way, check out the page at Facebook. All right. With that, I'm going to
2: send it over to Russ and let him give you his stuff. All right. This is Russ K5TUX from between the peaks in the pine forest of North Central Arkansas. This has been episode number 89 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I want to thank Rob from Mintcast over at Mintcast.org for being a participant in our show tonight. You can email me at info at LHSpodcast.info. Check me out on all the social networks out there, including Google+, Plus, Twitter. Identica and all that good stuff. I'm JR Woodman, also K5TUX at 73s.org. Check out LHpo- LHS Podcast.info for info on the show. Sign up, join the mailing list, become a subscriber, do all those cool things. Even leave us a voice comment at 909 LHS Show. That's 909 547 7469. Thanks again for listening to the show, and I'm going to send it back down to the Trinity River Basin in northeast Texas where Richard's going to sign us off by giving us these words of wisdom. Well, no, ain't no words of wisdom. I'm trying to
0: get on out of here because them hell sheep have got out again. i got to go round them up. I'll see you all later. Fenty fresh, damn it.